All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Timothy 2. While you're turning there, Levi and Belle Allen had their baby, Ella. So there's a sign-up sheet for meals if you're interested in making them some meals to, uh, well, get them through the, well, the interesting challenges of having a newborn in the house. Um, you can either take them to their house, and their address is on here, and there's all the instructions you need, or you can make them something frozen and put it in the freezer here, and someone will run it up to them. So that's a choice you can, you can make on your own. But just a couple of weeks' worth of meals it really helps people out. So that sign-up sheet will be on the table out there. You can do that on your way out if you're interested in helping. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to spend time with you and each other and sing. And as Aaron already prayed, just to kind of let the things of the world, the, the normal routine and responsibilities kind of fade. And we can sit and be refreshed. We can sit and have you minister to us. And uh, that's what we're here for. Just a fresh filling of you and um, just a nice teaching from your word, Lord. And that's, that's our heart's desire tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Times of refreshing come from being in the presence of the Lord. It just does. And uh, sometimes I don't think that's what I need to refresh myself. And I try to do some other things that I think I need to distract me. And uh, they never quite satisfy. And and these times are very important for me, even to teach. I mean, it is work. um, But my whole mind and heart is focused on this tonight. And that helps me as well. So hopefully you'll all be refreshed by the time we're done here. Paul is discussing a very serious matter with Timothy. Of course, he's a young pastor in a time of great persecution. And he's trying to encourage him to be strong in the faith and in strong in grace, is what we cover tonight mainly, strong in grace. It's uh, very easy for a pastor to um, self-disqualify or self, um, well, that's the best word, just I'm done with it, you know, um, Because you do your best. When you teach the Bible, and I do it a lot, there are some times when I am, well, all the time, I study and I show myself approved and I make notes and I get ready and I deliver a horrible, horrible teaching. And you're like, what in the world happened? I mean, you go through your checklist as a pastor. I prayed, I spent time, I had good cross-references. It's sort of interesting to me. Had a funny story even in there kind of thing. But just, you know. And then you have other times where you just barely think you squeak by and it, that's all you hear afterwards. Oh, that was so powerful. Oh, the God really spoke to me. Oh, gee, I'm like, I have no idea. The difference between the two, you know. And so we start off here, and I think it's very important for Paul to teach Timothy, and very important for all of us to understand this, is you therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. You have to give yourself grace. You have to understand it's the Lord. That no matter what you do or don't do or how you perform each day, you've Timothy, you're going to need to be really, really strong in grace if you're going to maintain your present course. All of us have to have that. Some days, oh, the, the, the scriptures just flowed off your lips as you ministered to a co-worker or a friend or a family member. And other days, you just barely stumbled through and were emotional and felt like, oh, I blew it. But that was the most impactful, you know, to that person. And there is no really rhyme or reason except for God's grace. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just speaks in different ways and in different strengths of power, it seems like. 
Some of the things we plant and share with people in God's Word is meant to bloom at another time, to bear fruit in another season in their life. It's, it's there, the seed's there, you planted it, but you didn't see the immediate result, you know. And that's God's to bring when He chooses. Timothy, you have to be strong in grace. Timothy, in order to share grace and teach grace and disciple people in grace, has to be the strongest person in grace in the room. That's the idea. If you're not strong in grace, the people around you won't be strong in grace either. Very important, Timothy. Be strong in grace, if not just for yourself, for those who listen to you. That is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses... In other words, you weren't the only person listening. Many people were. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is the point. Christ gave some to be apostles, some pastors, some teachers, some prophets for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We don't have necessarily a specific discipling program. I think what people have learned or become accustomed to in the church, especially in in America, is that we... We, we understand discipleship, but we want a custom-tailored individual discipleship with the senior pastor on coffee on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock every single day or every single week. That's not discipleship. We've turned it into that, but that's not what it is. This is discipleship right here. As I go through this teaching, and maybe you've ran across this maybe another Sunday or Wednesday other than this Wednesday, But as I'm teaching, you're like, I've heard this before. I know the story. I can finish the sentence. I know that. Guess what? You've been discipled. You know it so well. It's it's become ingrained. It's like, isn't there anything new for me? No. (laughs) You've been discipled. See, Jesus would call. We sang a song about it today. We call fishermen. No idea what the Bible is. You know. I mean, they go to synagogue. But they, they were read to and they kind of got it. And then they, but they knew they got to go fish. And they, didn't, they just got a boost. You know. Jesus says, I want you to immediately leave your nets and follow me. And for three and a half years, they listened to him tell the same stories and parables and the same principles over and over and over again until they became what were called Christians. They were all little Christs. And he sent them off by twos to go off and do exactly what they were doing together as 13 men. Now I want you to go off by twos and go ex- do exactly the same thing we've been doing. Yes, cast out demons and I want you to, and to heal people and do all that. But you're going to teach the same things you've been hearing for the last three and a half years. You need to be able to do that. That's discipleship. At first, when you get saved, you come to church, and it's just to barely squeak by. I just need saved from myself. I need help. I need to learn something today so that I don't make the same stupid mistakes tomorrow as I made today. And that's understandable. And that's, that's forever. That doesn't ever end. But it does get less. Be encouraged. But eventually, you'll be like, wait a minute. That's the same principle. I know grace, and I know mercy, and I know forgiveness. And I know the cross, and I know the resurrection, and I know this and that and the other. You're being discipled. So that when someone asks you something, all of a sudden out of your lips comes the answer, and you're like, where did that come from? That came from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God being drilled and ingrained into your heart. You know. 
we have a problem. And, Timothy, and, and Paul mentions this to Timothy. There's going to come a time when people aren't going to want to endure sound doctrine. What that means is they've heard it before. So they're going to heap up for themselves teachers with, because they have itching ears. It'll teach them something new. We cannot move away from God's word. We cannot move away from this. The fact that we know it so well that you're an expert in it is a testimony of a well-lived life and good open ears on your part. A heart that says, hey, a brain that's been given the ability to recall and say, I remember that. I know that. My kids, you know, they're looking for churches. You know, I talked about this all the time. They're like, I know this stuff. I know we discipled you. You're a follower of Jesus. Now you're filled with the Holy spirit. There isn't a church that you will attend in this country or in this world where you couldn't possibly be the senior pastor. If you needed to be because you know it, you know it that well. See, every one of us is in that position. Every one of us here this, this evening are being discipled. And so Paul says, when you do these things, when you're strong in grace, I want you to say the same thing I taught you, and I want you to teach the same thing to the next group, and then that group's going to teach the same thing to the next group, and that goes on and on and on and should never change. We talk about the inerrancy of Scripture, right? We try to chain it back. Now, when did it first start? And that's one of the big arguments from the atheists and the groups that don't believe is, oh, it's just a man-made book that's been written and revised and all that. It hasn't. That's just it. It hasn't. This book is so challenged. It's been so scrutinized. There's so much evidence and proof that it hasn't changed from the first century of the church. Maybe a comma, but never the meaning. Never the word itself. Ever. 5,000 documents to back it up. The next closest thing, I don't even remember the, the, the document that could be the next closest thing, not the Magna Carta, not, what is it? Because that we still have. It was something. I can't remember what it was. Had like 200. It's the most trustworthy document that the world has ever known or has ever seen. Uh, by multitudes, by, 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 a, by multiplication, not even close, not like 10 more documents more than the next one, thousands of more documents. It's trustworthy. And, and so we get that. But now we have to have men that are able to teach that and won't change it, won't move it here or move it there based off of their feelings or fancies, you know. With the pressures of this world. This is the anvil that has worn out many hammers, the Bible is. Many hammers have tried to wear it down, but the hammers wear out long before the anvil does. I want to do that. I want to buy a big anvil and set it out there. You know, I've been looking online. They're not cheap. It's the shipping on those things. A <laughs> $400 shipping for a $100 anvil. <laughs> no. <laughs> So someone make me an anvil, please. But it's got to be big. I don't want one of those. It's a bait, you know, a little one that you put in the bed of your pickup truck. No, I want, I want like a blacksmith's anvil, you know. It's the anvil that's worn out many hammers. Scripture. Timothy, find very talented 
artistic. No. <laughs> no, he's looking for faithful men. Because a faithful man won't change it. I don't care if you're a doof. Be a faithful doof. And the Word of God can be entrusted to you because you won't think of yourself higher than the Scriptures. You won't think of yourself more that you can change it and adjust it for your well-being and for your feelings or anybody else's. Commit these things, the things you've heard from me, the things you've learned to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also that this can continue on and on and on and on. You've been entrusted with that responsibility, Timothy. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's going to use three different metaphors here. Soldier, sports, and a farmer. But as a soldier, you must endure hardship. I've gone through some hardship, but nothing like anybody else. I know there's other guys in the military that went through greater hardship. But I've, had, I've been tested. I marched until I passed out. And I did well. It wasn't one of those weenie pass outs where I weenied out on the first mile. So I didn't, have, I got to get in the truck and, 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 you know, get a ride the rest of the 13 miles. We had a 14 mile hump. We called them with full pack and boots. And I don't even know if they do that anymore. I think they were tennis shoes now. Those guys. I made it back to the camp after 14 miles came into the gate and I dropped. That was my first I was, I was there a week in Okinawa, Japan, and uh, I dropped. I mean, I had reached my end and got, th- you know, three IVs of fluid in there. I just dehydrated. That's all it was. And I didn't, I didn't drop any more. We did four or five more of those while I was there stationed in Okinawa, and I didn't drop any other time. That was my first time. But I know where the end was. I knew where the limit was for me. I was like, oh, <laughs> make sure you drink water. Change your socks, you know, when they stop. You must endure that hardship. There's a reason for it. And they told us that at the beginning. They said, you think this is hard. Every mission you ever do is going to be harder than this. That's why we train, you know. He warns Timothy of this. You've got to endure these hardships. You, you can't be the one that quits. You can't quit, Timothy. You can't. You can't. It's not an option, you know. I don't care if you feel like it. I don't care if you're tired of it. I don't care what kind of reasons you have. Timothy, you can't quit. You've got to endure. You've got to put up with the hardships. You just do. He doesn't give Timothy an out. Like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, we teach the kids that song in the back. It's a wonderful song. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. And they love that. You know, they love to go through it. And so it's kind of militant when you walk into a church like that. They're talking about shooting artillery and flying. I'm like, gee whiz, you know. But it goes with this verse here. Please understand that, yes, you're saved from your sins. It's wonderful. Hell has been defeated in your life. You're not going there anymore. Your destination is heaven, but you've also enlisted in the Lord's army. And he's going to send you on missions, and he's going to train you, though, and he's going to equip you. He's going to fill you with all the strength and the Holy Spirit and the giftings you're going to need for all those missions. You'll never be sent out on these missions ill-equipped or or ill-prepared. But you will be sent out on these missions. Timothy, 
You must endure hardship as a good soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. It has to be your primary focus. That has to be your main thing. It doesn't mean you're not engaged in the affairs of this life. You're not entangled with them. They don't keep you, you know, from the ministry God calls you to be involved with. If you're going to war, you know, you can't be worried about, I mean, honestly, in combat, you can't be worried about certain things in this life. You need to be focused on the mission and the mission only. Don't entangle yourself. Now, you have to decide what that entanglement looks like. What does it feel like? What is it, how does it manifest itself in your life? Am I so entangled with, with things of this world that I can't do what God calls me to do? Men will call you to do a bunch of stuff, and men will expect you to do a lot of stuff. Don't confuse that with the calling of God on your life. That's just their expectations, man's expectations. God's expectations, God's call on your life, You cannot be entangled with things of this world so much that you can't answer the call of God in your life. And that only you will know that, what that looks like. Don't be entangled. Guard yourself, protect yourself. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Got to play according to the rules, Timothy. The rules are right here in front of you. You've got a written set of rules, the scriptures. You don't get to bypass those. And it's easy to do. It's easy to get ahead. You know, it just depends on what your goals are. If, Timothy, your goal is to faithfully present the gospel and not be ashamed of the gospel and not pollute or water down the gospel, and you're not looking at the response from the gospel, which is a very dangerous thing to do, but your goal is to make sure you present the gospel properly and with authority of the Holy Spirit, good. That's playing according to the rules. Now, if my concern is with winning, with fruit, with praise or numbers, that's when the rules become iffy because the result is far more important than actually doing it right. Can you imagine, you know, Running the mile in the Olympics, it's four times around if you didn't know that or not. Not nearly as exciting as other races, but there it is. And you're half a lap down, so you decide to cut across the 50-yard line. Cut a half a lap off and just catch up really quick. No, 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 no. You're not getting any prize at the end of that. That's cheating. You didn't follow the rules. Everything's blown. The whole race is ruined because of that moment. Timothy, if you're going to run this race, run to win... Run for the crown, but the crown is this. You play according to the rules, and the goal, the win, is the gospel presented accurately, with love, at the right time, at God's bidding, not the fruit. The fruit, the increase, that's God's. It's up to Him. Jesus never, ever was so concerned with grabbing all 5,000 people that he was willing to water down the teaching. I mean, you talk about an intense teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. What an intense teaching. That is not how you get a bunch of people to follow you. When you start telling them the do's and the don'ts and the beatitudes and all these things that are going to require a lot from the person, the world doesn't want to hear that most of the time. What do you mean 
You're going to require something of me? No, I thought this is free. I thought the gospel is free. Well, it is free. I'm not charging you 50 bucks to hear salvation. But you are enlisting when you're done. You're, you're choosing to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You are choosing to be adopted into a family, a family that has a mission and a goal to bring glory to the Father with their lives. That's what you're enlisting to do. See? So when you tell people, yes, you're saved. Yes, Christ died on the cross for your sins, but, but and you're saved. That's it. But your life is never going to be the same. You're, you're going to be living for him now. It's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. I, I, I decrease and he increases. When people see me, they're going to see Jesus more, to the point where they call me a Christian. You're a little Christ. When I look at you, when I hear you, it's like I'm talking to Jesus. Great. You know, it's exactly right. Run according to the rules. Finally, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. They just spend a lot of time on the farmer, and the farmer needs to be hardworking. Can't be a lazy farmer. And some take this to mean, and the way it's worded, it does sound like that. He gets to partake of the crops first. And we would maybe remember what he's taught in 1 Corinthians about how a pastor is worthy of his hire and he can earn from the, from the gospel, from the mess. You know, he can receive payment so that he can continue to go on. Not really what he's getting at here. I think what he's telling Timothy when he's saying this is similar to what he says to Timothy at another time. Uh, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine, and those around you will get saved. You first have to partake of this crop. You have to eat this word of God. You have to digest it. You have to be living it. Now, I may be wrong there. It's not wrong to teach that. This may not be the scripture to teach that from. You do need to know the scriptures and have it applied to your life before you can share with other people. I think that's very important. He may be talking about, sure, Timothy, you can take a salary. That may be it also. But based off of what I'm reading here and what I see in context, along with soldier, along with the sports, you know, the, you know, the, the athlete, the farmer has to be a hard worker. You know, you have to be involved. The crop's not going to grow itself. So there has something to, you do have something to do with it, you know. The farmer has a lot to do with whether the crops are going to grow or not. Did you plant any seeds out there? Well, no, I didn't. And you're watching for crops to grow? Well, yeah. Well, how did you think they were going to grow? You see what I mean? I want the kingdom to be full of new believers. Did you share the gospel with anybody last month? No. <laughs> How's that going to happen? I bring him to church and you do it. You know, <laughs> I want you to do it. I brought, I brought my friend. You tell him about Jesus. No, 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 no. The church grew exponentially when the Holy Spirit fell upon everybody. And yes, they gathered together at the first day of the week on a Sunday and they, and they spent time together fellowshipping, breaking bread and the apostles' doctrine and prayer. But then they went out and they all shared the gospel with everybody they knew. And it grew exponentially. That's discipleship, you see. We get confused with maybe apostleship. 
pastors the apostle. We just kind of bring people like the disciples. We thought the disciples' goal was to bring the 5,000 to Jesus so that he can sit and teach them, when actually, no, no, the goal of what we're doing here is for you guys to go out two by two to do exactly what we're doing here. And that's how the gospel spread. They don't have to come to church to get saved. They get saved by encountering Christians, little Christ. Verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You need to keep the gospel, the gospel, Timothy. It does include not only dying on the cross for your sins, but that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The miracles, the fantastic exclamation point that God puts on Christ's life by raising him from the dead, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, sin could not hold him in the grave because the wages of sin is death. And since Jesus never sinned, that makes him the perfect sacrifice. That means he was raised from the dead. Death couldn't hold him, you see. That has to be a part of it. When they were ministering, see, when they were ministering to the Greeks, that was a, a very big stumbling block for them. You mean he was truly a dead man reanimated? He, like buried, dead, gone, no pulse, no heartbeat, no breathing for days. And he literally got back up again, not figuratively, not like um, metaphorically, but you mean he really walked and, he, and people saw him believing and breathing again? Come on. That's a part of the gospel. That's the only way the gospel works. It's, it's not good news if he didn't get up, if he didn't rise from the dead. It has to be there. Do you really believe that Jesus died and rose again? Yes, I do. Of course, when you do believe that, and you're settled in your heart on that, it makes all the other little problems that I think are too big for him awfully small, don't they? You know? If you can reanimate a dead body after three days, <laughs> my visa bill is probably not that big a deal to you. you know. And I say, I just picked on a small thing, an easy thing. That's also probably bad spending habits too, but we won't get into that tonight. It's important. Paul, sharing the gospel, how could that be offensive? Apparently it was. He suffered as a he suffered trouble like an evildoer suffers trouble. Like they, which is exactly what happened to Christ. I mean, he was, he was, had murderers on, you know, on either side of him, robbers and murderers and, and, and the murderer got off. Barabbas got off instead of Jesus. And Jesus was suffered as an evildoer for what? Well, I healed a lot of people. I fed a lot of people free food. <laughs> We're going to crucify you. Don't be surprised. Peter says, Paul says, John says, when you suffer these things, it's not fair, it's not justice, it's not right. I know. Because you're dealing with an unjust world and you're telling them that they're wrong and that they're in sin and that they need to repent and they need to not come and that they need to change and that there's a requirement on their part of repentance they don't want to hear that 
Of course they're going to crucify you. Of course they're going to want to do you harm and treat you like the evildoer. Because if you're not the evildoer, then they are. That shouldn't be a surprise, Timothy, to you. I'm suffering as an evildoer. I'm in prison right now writing this letter to you, and he's done no criminal action, you see. But I endure these things. I'm willing to write this letter to you, Timothy, from prison, the darkest time in my life. Sure, surely I'm not going to get out of this alive. But my last thought is to make sure that you're equipped to carry on after I'm dead. That's my goal here. I'm not pleading for my life. I'm not asking for justice. I'm not saying let's do a jailbreak, get the, get, you know, get the boys together. I just want to make sure you're ready for my death. And that the message of the gospel will continue on faithfully with you, Timothy, because you're the only one left he's getting at. You're the only one I can rely on to do this. And then you need to make sure that you're doing the same thing I'm doing to you, to somebody else. Everybody needs a Paul in their life. Everybody needs a Timothy in their life. I'm convinced of that. Someone who can pour into them and someone they can pour into. It's very important. That flow happening in your life increases the speed at which you learn the gospel and understand the truth. It's wonderful. God's designed it that way. It's meant to. It's meant to flow. Verse 11, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, Jesus, we shall also live with him, Jesus. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Faithfulness. The most important thing you can have as a Christian. To be immovable. To be so rock solid. It's so important. And I think your faithfulness and the strength of your faithfulness will come from understanding your weakness. Knowing that you could walk away. Knowing that it is possible. He names some very influential men in this chapter. Men that have walked with the Lord, walked with Paul, served with Paul, but are no longer doing it. These are, these are names he mentions on purpose. These guys were stable pillars. They're not anymore. Timothy, you're paying attention to these stable pillars not being stable pillars anymore. Very important. Watch that. Verse 14, remind them of these things. Charge them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. We've probably been in situations like that. Now, I think we can go too far either way on this one. What he means is we can spend a lot of time as two Christians debate publicly about doctrines. Oh, and the people that are kind of soft and squishy Christians are like, you guys are just ruining the hearers. And, and you should both just be quiet and just talk about Jesus. Well, honestly, those two people that were arguing probably thought they were talking about Jesus. And what they're talking about is probably pretty important. But there's a time and a place for that. You know, there's a time and a place to work out doctrinal differences. And, things, and it may not be at an evangelical outreach. You know, come to know Jesus. Or hold on a minute. We're going to work something out up here publicly. And we stand with mics. You know, there's a time and a place for that. He says... Be careful about that. There are hearers all the time. Um, 
And I'm, he's not saying don't get your doctrine straightened out because we certainly do need to get our doctrine straightened out. And we certainly are in error in some places. And we need to learn that from each other. That's how iron sharpens iron. And brothers and sisters share with each other and talk about things and work things out. Well, doesn't the scripture say this? Yes, it does. It says this. But here's the other part. And you can't deny that to accept that. You have to have all of it. So how, does, how do both scriptures work together? Because not one of them is a lie. They're both true. How can they be both true? Let's figure that out. That's okay to talk about those things. There's nothing wrong with that. That's important. Let's reason together. That's not what he's talking about here. This is, oftentimes these things come up with, I want you on my team. I want you to listen to us argue about this so that you join my team or you join their team. That's to the ruin the hearer because they're just trying to figure out how to get off heroin and you're trying to figure out whether we were chosen or whether we had free will. I just want to get off heroin. I'll, you guys work it out. I'm going to find someone that can help me deal with my addictions and with my sin and how to overcome these things. You know, It's just a time and a place for these things. Remind them of these things. Paul knows that they've heard it before. Paul knows that Timothy probably knows all these things written in this letter. But I want you to remind them. Peter says the same thing. I know that you know these things. I just write these things as a reminder. We need to be reminded. You know, we can forget easily the main thing. Um, if you work in a company for any amount of time, there's always policy manuals, you know, things that they gave you when you first joined the company and you go through and you watch the videos, and you do the things, and you learn, and you come out of there bright, shiny, new, and you're following the rules. And of course, all the old dogs that have been there forever like, look at that new guy. We don't do that anymore. We bypass Appendix A, B, and C, and we go right to the... And you realize every once in a while, the whole company needs to go through retraining again. Because we're so far away from our goals, we're so far away from our mission statement, we're so far away that... We don't even look like the book anymore, you know. So let's come back in and let's do a, a re- oh, we're going to come. And everybody complains about the Saturday retraining and all that. And you sit and you listen, but it does refocus. And it's funny, everybody's on board on Monday. And Tuesday we step away. And Wednesday we step away. And, th- and then a month later, guess what? We need to have a whole nother get together. Guys, that's all he's saying. As Christians, We've got to keep the main things the main things, and sometimes we forget what the main things are. So we need to be reminded of these things and get pulled back in together. What's important? Timothy, be strong in grace. Grace. Be strong in that. Remind them of these things. Remind them that they're not to be entangled with the things of this world. Well, I know that, but, but you are, though, so learn that. You're a soldier. You're an athlete. You're a farmer. Remind them of these things. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you have a King James, it says, study to show thyself approved. Same thing. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're all called to that. Timothy, you are, but also everybody you teach is required to know. We don't just get a pep talk on Wednesdays and Sundays. We truly should be learning. Learning to the point where we can then teach and share. 
Maybe not on a regular basis. Maybe not all the time, you know. Maybe you don't have a, but if asked, I can present the gospel in a clear, concise, but effective, loving, spirit-filled way. I ought to be able to do that. Every Christian should be able to do that. Rightly dividing the word, which means it can be wrongly divided. And Paul knows some guys that are wrongly dividing the word of God already in the first century church. So rightly dividing, very important. But shun, put away, keep away, avoid profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Name and names. First century church, I got two guys that are already saying that the resurrection has taken place, that we missed the rapture, that we missed the first resurrection, and we're all going through the great tribulation here. You know, nope, Paul says, they've strayed. They've come up with a, their own doctrine. They didn't hear that from me. They didn't hear that from Jesus. They didn't hear that from any of the apostles. That's a new doctrine that they've invented and brought up and brought into, and it's wrong. They've wrongly divided the word. These two men have done it. He names them. It's a heavy deal to name someone like that in a letter, isn't it? It's that important. I don't care about Philetus or Hymenius' feelings. I'm not concerned with them coming to know the truth. They're going to come to know the truth from this. You guys are wrong. (laughs) And you better stop being wrong because you're upsetting people's faith. People are walking away from the Lord because of you guys. That's the feelings he's encouraging in them. You know, repentance. Timothy, don't be like them. I named them for a reason. I've named last week Phygelius and Hermogenes. And I'm mentioning these two guys here, Hymenius and um, Philetius. I don't know how to pronounce their names. It doesn't matter. These four guys didn't listen, didn't take heed to this letter that I'm giving to you, Timothy. You want to avoid their outcome? Pay attention. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Those two things can never be changed in the gospel. Ever, ever, ever. God knows those who are his, which means there are some that aren't. We're not all children of God. I see, those on, I see that all the time. You're all created by God, but you're not all children of God. That's not true. That's not a true statement. You become adopted into the family of God through the believing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you're adopted into the family. That's scripture. That's what the Bible teaches. It never teaches that we're all children of God. We're all created. God knows those who are his and those who aren't. Let everyone who names the name of Christ as a Christian, says I believe in Jesus, depart from iniquity. You don't accept it. It doesn't who you are. It doesn't define you. It isn't something that's just something that everybody has to tolerate. A believer in Jesus Christ is to depart from sin. We're to repent and walk away from it. And if you fall into it or stumble into it or willfully do it, you repent again. 
But you always, it's, it's always your enemy. It's always wrong. It's never accepted. Those two things, Paul says, is a solid foundation of God. Sealed with those two things. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, I've always taught this and continue to teach it this way, that if you are a vessel of dishonor, you can be cleansed and cleanse yourself and become a vessel of honor. And I think that's what it means. I think it gives us the solution to Romans, the Romans situation where the, some are just made to be vessels of honor and some are just made to be vessels of dishonor, the Calvinists would say. And that those were just made for dishonor, there's nothing they can do about it. Well, Paul here seems to indicate that even if you were made that way, you can cleanse yourself. There is another way to translate this, though. It could mean this, because the truth is, once a vessel becomes, because they didn't have toilets back then, I hate to be kicked crass here, but I have to be. That's the idea. The pot beside your bed at night, so you didn't have to go outside, Well, once you use it for that purpose, you really don't want it in the kitchen again, is the idea. And so he is telling Timothy in context here, be careful you don't spoil the golden and silver vessel that you are, because once you do, you can become disqualified, not from salvation, but from use. Your use is different. It can be that. It can be taught that way. So I want to make sure. I think both are fair. Let's take them both. Let's teach both those things here, you know. Um, I saw a funny meme that showed the old Tupperware bowl. It says it's been a popcorn bowl. It's been a spaghetti reheater. It's also been the vomit bowl beside the bed, you know. <laughs> I grew up with that bowl in my house. And it was hard to get past the fact that I, I did use that for that at one point. But it's been washed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. But I don't know that I want to reheat that plastic and see what didn't, you know, and now it's in my spaghetti or whatever. <laughs> so I think both are fair. You can decide what you want to take from that, but I think both are fair. There's nothing wrong with staying clean at all. Nothing wrong with staying clean. Yeah, can he cleanse us? Of course he can. Does he forgive us of our sins over and over again? Yeah. You know, I think the children's ministry calls it super soap. He does have some super soap. Nothing is untouchable by God. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. And there's a lot of grace. But there's nothing wrong with keeping yourself clean, too. And being used for a special purpose. Knowing that the gold and silver vessel that you are now as a believer in Jesus Christ should be set apart and used for one thing and one thing only to bring him glory and not to be defiled by this world. I think that's fair. I think that's okay to teach. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. 
He's seen that. Paul's seen a lot of that. You know. Timothy, you're a young guy. I want you to flee youthful lusts. There is a tendency, you know. You can't help it, you know. I, I, I've grown up some, some. And I'm still growing up. But uh, there are things that your youth longs for and desires and seeks after, you know. And it doesn't have to be necessarily physical, you know, sexual or anything like that. It, that's not what he's talking about necessarily. Just lusting after stuff. Lusting after the things of this world. It's hard not to notice the new chariot driving down the road, you know. Just don't pursue those things. I'm all for new chariots. I look at new chariots once in a while. In fact, tonight, I, before I came here, I drove by the Dodge new chariot store and I looked at this silver dually that was there. But am I going to pursue it? No. No. It's pretty though. What I do pursue is righteousness, faith, love, peace. Those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, look for those people. Pursue those things. They're not going to just come. There's some pursuing that needs to take place. Some effort on our part. Verse 24, then we'll finish up here. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Remember, your mission is to save people from hell, not to be right. You can have both. Timothy, I do want you to have solid doctrine, but I do want you to minister in such a way with the goal being not you winning the argument, but you winning the soul. Timothy. Don't just quarrel for quarrel's sake. Remember that a, you know, a harsh word stirs anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. If my goal is for people to repent from sin, I can't avoid that part of the conversation. You do need to repent from sin, but I can say it in such a way that's gentle. I do need to correct people. I don't just agree to agree to have peace. I do correct people, but I do it in humility, knowing that there by the grace of God go I. Be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. First scripture I ever memorized. Be very careful. That humility goes a long way, but also gentleness, patience. takes time for people to digest these things. It does. I thought I told you that last week. I'm still thinking it through, you know. I get older, it takes me a lot longer to digest people's thoughts and speech sometimes. They'll be talking and talking. My kids, oh my goodness. Bo and Mariah will be sitting there. I'm going, okay, first of all, one at a time. Let's just start there. Second of all, what was the second word? Because I think I've got it out of context now. I have no idea what you're talking about here. The concert, Dad. Okay, now I'm with you. I got you. Thank you. You know, slow it down a little bit. Guys, when I'm telling, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, we can know it so well. We could be such experts in speech that we go, Sam, what? You know, for someone who's never heard it before, who doesn't understand, I gave you the gospel. Oh, we got to be patient with people. Lead them in the gospel. Walk them through the gospel at their speed, not your speed, patient, you know, 
I think you see a lot more fruit, a lot more success, a lot more understanding when we can slowly and gently and humbly take people through the gospel. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's um, desire to put pen to paper so that Timothy had something to refer back to. I mean, this is a document, Lord, that is such a blessing to us thousands of years later. I can't imagine what Timothy thought when he held this scroll in his hand. How, what a blessing. But we want to receive it like Timothy received it. We want to do well. We want to be faithful men and women who have been entrusted with your word. We want to hear it and understand it the way you wrote it. And then teach it the way you wrote it. So that they can teach it the way you wrote it. And on and on and on it goes. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is our teacher. And uh, the one who gives us the answers and helps us. And it's just a wonderful, uh, a wonderful tutor. I pray that you keep these things in our hearts and in our minds and give us understanding to comprehend and then to be able to articulate it to other people, to share it in such a way that it can be received. God, help us to be strong in grace tonight. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, we'll be some folks up here to pray with you. Otherwise have a great night.